So I want you to, to put yourself in this scenario. It's the tail end of a church activity. Whether that's a big thing, like Yes Day or, or the Crown of Life Christmas party. And you're in the middle of this, of this great conversation, and then the announcement comes that the event is over. What, at that point, is your natural inclination? What are you going to do? Do you, A, end your, t- end your talk very quickly, kind of like, okay, break that conversation off, and then go to, to help break down tables? Or... Do you continue that conversation in which you're immersed? Hmm. Now, if you're one of those who attend to cut that conversation off and start go, you know, breaking down tables and stacking up chairs, do you ever struggle with the people who are still seated there and, and talking? Do you ever wonder why it is, well, they're just sitting there and making me do all the work? Or conversely, if you're the other person who wants to continue that conversation, have you ever been annoyed at those people who just break the conversation with you abruptly and then just start cleaning? Do you ever, want, do you ever think, well, maybe they're being too time-focused or, or too much like Martha? There's good conversation to be had here. Now, it's easy to see the other person in the negative light. But I think it's actually a scene of great beauty. It's a beautiful display of diversity in the body of Christ. Last week, Travis led us to a better understanding of unity as the body of Christ, right? We're all baptized by the same Spirit and gifted for God's glory. And he emphasized that how important it is for us to pursue and to retain this sense of unity because all of God's church needs to be circled around the same mission of making and teaching disciples. So today, we're going to continue that conversation by talking about diversity within the body of Christ. And this morning, we're going to do three things. First, I want to emphasize the purpose of the body's diversity to explore the challenges to the body's diversity, and then also to recapture the grace of being part of Christ's diverse and yet unified body. So first, let's start with the purpose and really the blessing uh, behind diversity in the body of Christ. Now, there's lots of things we could talk about here, but we're going to limit it to just two. So the first blessing is that diversity in the church, diversity in the body of Christ, expands and multiplies ministry. Because while we primarily proclaim the love of Jesus through speaking the word of God, we also put that word into practice through the gifts of, of mercy or, or service or administration or hospitality. We reach out to various kinds of people through various kinds of ways. And teachers do this all the time, right? A teacher may want to convey a lesson on the the Revolutionary War. So what do they do? Well, they they have their students read about it, but not only that, they also might have them act it out or draw a map and label all the different battles where where those battles took place. They might see a video on it. They might memorize a name and a date and so on and so forth. If you'd like more information on how teachers teach, talk to Rachel Hamry who, <laughs> and Scott Hamry, who actually does teach on the Revolutionary War, um, <laughs> but great people in our school. So <clears throat> teachers do this all the time, right? They, use the same, they teach the same message. They use the same material, but they use diverse formats so that the message is understood by all. In the same way, 
that's how the church acts as well, right? We point to the love and to the grace of Jesus in all kinds of ways. It happens always through the sharing of the word, but it's also shown in action. So first, it multiplies ministry. Second, blessing of diversity is that it helps us cover over each other's weaknesses and blind spots. As Ecclesiastes tells us, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, well, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. So let's go back to the illustration of of the church event. And we see this at play. Because if everyone, if we were all task-oriented, just jumping to break rooms down and get things reset, yeah, a lot might get done, but at the expense of our relationships. And same thing, if on the other hand we were all people-oriented, so deep in conversations that, you know, nothing, we never did the needed tasks, we would be a really tight-knit group. But we'd probably be a little maybe inefficient as well. So having diversity within the family, within the church family, allows us to more completely pursue God's mission. God has created his church to be one of unity, but not one of uniformity. And there's a big difference there, right? Unity is all one mission, maybe different ways of going about that, but uniformity is everything and everyone looks exactly the same and does exactly the same thing. So we're baptized into the same spirit, right? We have the same mission, but we have various roles to contribute toward that mission. And we see this in the world of boxing. And I I know we don't typically think of boxing as a team sport, but it's not just the fighter up there, right? I mean, he has a whole team of people in his corner. And between rounds, they're giving advice on the match, they're cleaning cuts, they're refreshing the fighter. One is front and center, but would never be able to win the match, would be incredibly ineffective without the others. And at the end of the match, it's not only the fighter who wins, it's the team. They're unified in mission, but diverse in roles. And that's these blessings behind this body of Christ, this diverse body, these different roles. The problem comes is is that it's a great gift from God to have this this body, but the challenges are there too. Because what we see as diversity, Satan would want us to see as division. And like we already said, diversity is approaching the same common goal in various ways. But the vision is walking in opposite directions with opposing goals in mind. Now as we look at our text today in 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses two ways that Satan attacks our unity and tempts us toward division. So the first first way Satan attacks us is by trying to convince us that our gifts are not welcomed or are not needed. We compare ourselves to other people and then we we walk away with envy and with shame because, well, we don't have the same gifts as another person. Paul says it this way in the text. He says, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And yet we do this to ourselves all the time. Where we say, well, 
I can't sing like Nate can, or, or I can't engage with kids the way that Sarah can. I guess I have no place in the body. I'm not needed. And we all struggle with that in our own various ways, whether that's, well, you know, there's people who are better communicators than I am, or people who, would be, who are better with numbers than I would be, or whatever that might look like. We all struggle with this, ta- with this attack from Satan. And the tactic here is to make us insecure and to drive us away from the body of Christ, to tell us that we don't belong, that we are not needed. And the great lie that Satan would have us believe is that we are not, because we are not uniform, we must not be unified. But the need of the church isn't for all of us to be skilled in one gift rather to utilize our diverse gifts for his glory. In the old hymn, uh, the Hark the Voice of Jesus Crying is a great example. And I'll, I'll read one of the verses for you. This is half of it. If you cannot speak like angels, if you cannot preach like Paul, you can tell the love of Jesus. You can say he died for all. And it continues on. If you cannot rouse the wicked with the judgment's dread alarms, you can lead the little children to the Savior's waiting arms. So you are part of the body of Christ. You are redeemed by his blood and you have been made in his image. You have his spirit and you've been given a gift to use and a role to play. Now quickly, if you don't know what uh, your gifts are, take an assessment. We just had that during yesterday. Uh, Seek out people of wisdom who know you. Or do some trial and error. Evaluate these things. But regardless of what kind of role you have or what kind of gift you've been given, you remain part of the body of Christ by the grace of Jesus. So the first way that Satan attacks us is through envy and through shame because we don't have the gifts that other people have. The second way that Satan attacks us is actually the flip side of the first. Because instead of tempting us towards envy or shame, he tempts us towards superiority Or maybe better said, pride. Because whereas in the first method, Satan would convince us that we are not needed or that we're not good enough to be part of the body, the second method is to convince us that our gifts are better than everyone else's. That we are self-sufficient in and of ourselves. Paul says it this way in the text. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think of as less or think that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And if you want to try this out, if you want to see what this is like, put it to the test. Try going through a day without using opposable thumbs. Or try looking at something for a few minutes without using your eyelids. Okay, I mean, the eye. The eye offers an incredible blessing, incredible function to the body. But without the eyelid, this small little thing we never really think about, it, the eye can't function. It, it suffers and it fails. And the same is true of the body of Christ. I mean, here at Crown of Life, it takes about 100 people to make a Sunday morning happen. From our AV team, our musicians, our lectors, our altar guild, our ushers, our Sunday school teachers, the folks who put together the Sunday school supplies, the coffee team, the list goes on and on and on. And so in the church, 
We are dependent upon each other. And the same thing goes in our individual lives. In our daily lives, we should never be so conceited as to think that we don't need the Christian community. God didn't create us to be Lone Ranger Christians, right? Each on their own island. He even says in the text, it is not good for man to be alone. Instead, God gives other people gifts that you need in your life. And to some, he gave the gift of exhortation, challenging you to apply scripture to your lives. To others, he gave the gift of mercy, comforting you in times of weakness and in failure. But the Christian community is really where we see all of God's gifts working together for his glory. It's that symphony that Travis talked about last week. Right? The flutes and the cellos have different roles, but they contribute to the same piece. They're needed by each other. And it's the same thing with the body. We can't work unless everyone's involved, and we can't get involved unless we know that we're needed. We can't know that we're needed unless we acknowledge our mutual dependence on each other. And that's really what our, our enemy, the, the devil, would have happen. He wants to destroy this Christian community, to isolate if he can, right? And if he can't isolate us by convincing us that we don't really belong, then he'll isolate us by convincing that no one else belongs, and we don't need anyone else. And in our sin, we have so often fallen into this temptation, right? Either we willingly remove ourselves from the body because, well, we don't have a certain gift, or we actively try to amputate others because of our own selfishness and pride. We confuse uniformity for unity, or we opt for division over diversity. Now, we've talked about the purpose, the blessing behind Christ's body, and we've talked about the challenges that we face as the church and the diversity we're in. But it's really vital for us to remember and to recapture the grace of being part of God's family. And it really, it begins with this radical concept of equality. That each and every one of us finds our value, finds our worth, and finds our identity from the same inexhaustible source. The grace-drenched water of baptism. It says this in the text. It says, we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. And so what it means is this. It means that the gifts that you have, the gifts that I have, the gifts that we have are not our own. Instead, they're given to us by God. The fact that any of us have any role to play in the body is an amazing grace. And that equality that we have in the eyes of God, and that grace that we have been, that's been given to us by God, is given in Jesus Christ. See, the, the text, all of 1 Corinthians 12, it talks a lot about how we operate together as a church body. And the very best way we learn to do that is by remembering whose body we're a part of. That is that we're part of the body of Christ. And it is Christ Jesus who brings us into the church through his perfect life and his painful death and his glorious resurrection. It means that we didn't earn a place in this body, but it was earned for us through the blood shed, through the faith given. 
through Jesus and his suffering and in his new life has given us new life, has given us a new identity. That now in Christ, we are children of the Father. We are heirs to the kingdom and we are members of the body together. And when we see ourselves in view of this divinely given identity, our response is one of gratefulness and thanksgiving. And so when we remember who we are in Christ and how we were bought by Christ, it mutes Satan's temptations. Because all of a sudden, it doesn't matter if our gift is to be the boxer in the ring or the cut man in the corner. We are blessed to be part of the battle. And our concern is less about ourselves. And it's more about the support and the care of the others. As the text says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And if one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And so great or small, we are part of Christ's body with a role to play. Regardless of the purpose and the gifts that we've been called to, we are blessed to be in the mission. So we've been set free. We've been set free from this concept of division. We've been united to the body of Christ. And in our unity, we also have this chance to celebrate and rejoice in our diversity and the various gifts that have been given to us. And in joyful response to all that our Savior has done for us, our goal then is to use our gifts faithfully and for the benefit of his body, the church, and all for his glory. Will you pray with me? Lord God, you formed the church just as you desired. Each of us with a role to play as we seek your glory, as we pursue your mission. And while you designed the body of Christ to work together, we confess that sometimes we fail to operate well. Lord, we confess we have insulted you by thinking that our gifts are too little or too insignificant, that you made a mistake by bringing us into your kingdom. We've fallen for Satan's lie that we don't belong. Lord, we also confess that there are times we fall victim to pride, thinking ourselves superior, that we don't need the Christian community that you gave to us. Father, forgive us for failing to acknowledge your gifts. Forgive us for failing to utilize them for your glory. Remind us of the love that you have for us, that we are part of Christ's body by grace through faith, that you have called us to be your children, that you are the merciful God, who forgives. Hear us for the sake of Jesus. Amen. God has heard our confession and has promised to deliver us from our sin. And he is true to his word. He has sent Jesus to suffer and to die that we would be forgiven. And so in Christ, we are made clean and we are given a purpose. And so know this, know that your sins are all forgiven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.